What, in your opinion, are the main triggers that might cause cancer in the human being? Well, there's a whole bunch of what we refer to and what Warburg pointed out, Otto Warburg, uh, secondary causes. But the primary cause that triggers it is the lack of oxygen in the mitochondria. And the cell then turns to the fermentation of sugar or glucose to try and survive. So it's almost like a natural process that occurs for the cell to try and survive because it's been deprived of something that's very, very useful to the cell. Whoever said life is short wasn't trying hard enough. Welcome to Dead Set on Living, a lifestyle podcast that takes you off the beaten path of health and wellness and highlights unique ways to live a longer, stronger, and more fulfilling life. Now, here's your badass host who once fought a bear on the mountains of Corsica, Lynn Bravo. Welcome to another episode of Dead Set on Living. I'm your host, Lynn Bravo. I'm pleased today to have with me again Paul Beatty, one of Canada's leading experts on essential fatty acids. Welcome, Paul. Well, it's always great to uh, (laughs) be here with you, Lynn, and uh, hear your cheery voice. Thank you. Uh, So we had, you know, so much interest in your your the last few podcasts we've done with you, talking about essential fatty acids and the important role they play in our health. So today we're going to tackle a very interesting topic because uh, you touched on it in one of the other podcasts. But uh, I think people are very very interested to have us elaborate on that, and that's the the what role do essential fatty acids play in reversing cancer. So I wondered if we could start first, though, with when we say reversing cancer, what do we mean in the context of like cure or remission? I think we have to be very clear about our terminology before we start. That's an excellent point, Lynn. And what we need to understand is that a lot of diseases, and especially degenerative diseases, there's really no such thing as a cure. It's about your immune system getting a hold of the either the pathogen or the disease process and stopping it from uh, progressing and deteriorating us as an individual, our health, and then trying to do everything we can lifestyle-wise and, and medical-wise and so forth to push that um, predator or to push that process backwards. Uh, it's like aging. Things are going to happen as we age, but some people age a lot faster than a lot of other people, and it comes down to all these environmental factors and at the cellular level where our our cells are interacting with the environment uh, through the cell membrane. So really reversing cancer comes down to pushing it away to the point, and once it gets to a certain point, then our technology can say it's in remission. A... Two-year-old gets diagnosed with cancer. He goes, he or she goes through treatment. They can't find the cancer anymore. The person is so-called in remission for five years. The child dies at seven years or eight years of age, and this is actually a cure statistic according to our medical system. And oh, it's really? very difficult to tell a parent that's lost a child from cancer that their child has been cured and telling everyone else it's been cured. If you are so-called in remission and they can't pick up the cancer for five years, then you are a cure statistic. Wow, I didn't realize that. So Hmm. 
you know, we have to be very careful when we use the word cure. Um, there's not very much that's been cured over the last 70 or 80 years. Mm-hmm, true. It's about restoring health. Right. And that means reversing what is causing you damage. Paul, do you, do you think that, like, is cancer genetic or is it more of a lifestyle and, envir- and an environmental disease? Well, if you go back to the early 2000s, they spent about $10 billion to map the genome, and they were going to have all the answers for cancer and other diseases and all these cures. And the heads of those studies, after it all came out, basically admitted it was all flawed, that it really is very small percentage of people, you know, when they're born early in life that a genetic disease is triggered. Uh, Basically, all of these things are ruled 80 to 90% by what they call epigenetics. And epigenetics just means that, I use an old phrase uh, from Clint Eastwood, we're all born with good, bad, and ugly genes. <laughs> okay. And it's, it's depending on our lifestyle whether these genes get expressed. And the big protector of these genes is this thing called a double lipid layer. It's fats. Mm-hmm. Because this double lipid layer is not only what protects the cell and the integrity of the cell, but it is also... Uh, a double lipid layer around the nucleus of the cell, as well as mitochondria. But around the nucleus, that is protecting our genetic material. Mm -hmm. So lipids being ignored for 70 or 80 years has been a major, major miscue by the research community relative to the importance in the health of the human body. I'm just going to go back to epigenetics again, just to, to be a little more clear. Like, so my understanding of epigenetics is, is that it's, it's, it's whether or not the gene, when you say gene is expressed, it means is whether it's active or inactive. Is that right? Correct. And, then, and this and is a very complex. Um, rather than altering the actual gene code. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. I mean, they have done recently studies at John Hopkins with a particular kinds of breast cancer. And they have found like there's over a thousand mutations in the ge- in genes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you take the medical model relative to block and impede pathways with drugs, that would mean that uh, following that model, you know, the, the individual with that kind of breast cancer would only need about a thousand different drugs a day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so as you can see, a whole fresh new approach is needed in a lot of ways, and. You know, modern medicine is moving slowly, but it is looking at working with our immune system. Mm-hmm. And that is the whole key, is working with our immune system to combat the enemy as opposed to trying to block the enemy all the time. So uh, what, in your opinion, are the main triggers that might cause cancer in the human being? Well, there's a whole bunch of what we refer to and what Warburg pointed out, Otto Warburg, uh, secondary causes, but the primary cause that triggers it is the lack of oxygen in the mitochondria. And the cell then turns to the fermentation of sugar or glucose to try and survive. So it's almost like a natural process that occurs for the cell to try and survive because it's been deprived of something that's very, very useful to the cell for energy and that is oxygen. And I always explain it this way to uh, at, you know, medical people and uh, groups of doctors. You can go 30 days without eating. 
you can go five days without water. You, your cell can go three minutes without oxygen, <laughs> and it dies. So we've all experienced, you know, sitting on a couch wrong on our feet underneath us or whatever, and then getting up, and the, and the leg is uh, virtually useless until this tingling occurs, and all of a sudden blood flow and oxygen rushes to the cells and wakes them up. And that should just show us uh, the dramatic effect of deprivation of oxygen. And what of Warburg won the Nobel Prize for this. And so the mechanism of how the oxygen gets in and out of the cell is where all of these factors are affected uh, as secondary factors. And the things that do this, that work on this pathway, affect through the liver mainly, but at the cell level, a set of enzymes that basically convert your omega-6 mainly and some omega-3 fatty acids. And what these do, uh, the main one involved is the delta-6 desaturase enzyme. And what impedes it? I'll give you a list, and you tell me if any of these things might, just might have an effect on cancer. Um, viral, persistent viral infections. Um, aging. Um, toxic carcinogenic substances, um, diabetes, impairment of the, because of the insulin response, and the list goes on and on. But all of the things we identify in our world today impact this. And what is the Delta-6, Delta-5 enzymes? These are just enzymes that convert good fats, if we were getting them from our diet, into the derivatives that now make up the components of cell membrane integrity that then pull the oxygen out of our bloodstream across seven membranes and get it to the mitochondria. And, of course, the number one symptom with cancer is fatigue. Mm. Oh, yes. And most people with cancer, they don't know it for two or three years. When they're diagnosed, they've had it for a number of years usually, and uh, this is because what happens is they really don't recognize that they're just getting more tired and more fatigued all the time. Yeah, I was asking you the other day because when I was, uh, you know, when I see drawings or images of cancer, you always see this massive bundle of vessels that have grown mm -hmm. to feed that uh, growth of the cancer cells. Mm -hmm. And I was asking you, like, you know, if that's the case, like, is it the oxygen that the cells are, are, are needing? And that's why we see so much vessel growth. But cancer doesn't need those blood cells to, to kill, those blood vessels to kill you. It needs the nutrients that are in the blood vessels, so, which is primarily glucose. So, uh, so when we see that massive growth of, of vascular uh, material around these cells, it isn't because of the, uh, of the need for oxygen. It's the need for the sugar. The no, glucose. and the interesting thing is that you know, we've seen with uh, use of uh, fatty acids and derivatives in balance that uh, the increase in oxygenation at the cellular level uh, actually protects the healthy cells and actually makes chemo and radiation, because uh, a number of chemotherapies have been looked at on this, it makes those uh, cancer cells actually um, more vulnerable to the uh, chemotherapy. And when you stop and think about it, if you're taking in chemotherapy, you need the high, highway open mm -hmm. to get to the cancer yeah. cell. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, you know, it's a very complex, complex disease because, again, 
you know, I always try to make analogies. And uh, this is sort of like fungus growing in your bathroom. And yes, you want to prevent it from getting out of hand. So you open the window and let oxygen in or you use cleaners with oxygenation and it beats it back. But the chances are that it's still behind the wall to some degree. But it's okay. You don't take a ball and hammer and start to smash the whole wall apart just because you have some fungus in the corner. And it's the same with trees and things in nature. Whenever there's um, moisture and humidity, then you get more fungus. Mm -hmm. But just because there's fungus on a branch on a tree, you don't cut down the whole tree. Mm -hmm. So we have to start to really look at, you know, if we do things right, we can live a long, long time as long as we keep that cancer from growing and we start to reverse it and push it backward. We may not get rid of it, and even Warburg showed this, but that's all right. And, of course, with lawsuits coming up on prostate cancers, breast cancers around the world, especially relative to the lymphatic systems, then we're starting to realize that um, we've been pretty invasive in the medical community as far as cancer goes and that there's... Can you elaborate a bit on that comment about the lymphatic system? Well, the lymphatic system, you know, is our... When we open up the pathways through this prostaglandin 1 production at the cellular level, it's a two-lane highway. It's the highway going in. So that's bronchial and peripheral vasodilation, anti-inflammatory response, and so forth through eicosanoids. But there's also the highway out you've opened up. That highway out of the cell really hooks up to your lymphatic system. So it's like repairing. You're taking in the good fats that haven't been there because you've been eating all these adulterated fats and trans fats and garbage and pollution and so forth. So what you need to do now is put in the good and move out the bad. And that moving out of too much stuff too fast through the lymphatic system, a lot of people will end up with lymphedema, and they'll end up with swollen glands and so forth. And so it's very important that, you know, all of this take into account what they refer to in some, uh, some cultures as pacing. So I always tell the people that we help with this. If you think you can now run a mile, it's been six months into recovery, then only do a half a mile because you don't want to drain the tank. And, uh, you know, think this is where fasting and, and, you know, not doing too much exercise to create lactic acid um, in burning energy. This this is important just to realize that it's a two-way highway. Mm-hmm. And the lymphatic system is absolutely critical in helping clear this debris. You've mentioned in, in earlier podcasts and now just again, the importance of prostaglandin E1 and actually prostacyclin. Yes. Uh, uh, what exactly are these, and, and what do they do in our bodies with respect to cancer? Okay, with respect to uh, prostaglandin E1, it is the first eicosanoid made on the omega-6 pathway past the uh, delta-6 enzyme, and it is um, made off the cell membrane from a component on the cell membrane called dehomogamalinolenic acid, and that's a very good one, by the way, for the game of Scrabble, if they have enough squares. <laughs> um, but uh, DGLA that. or dehomogamalinolenic acid uh, is then a precursor through an inhibitory 
uh, enzyme called the delta-5 to arachidonic acid. But because it's an inhibitory enzyme, then what people need to understand and what's been misconstrued in the science is that prostaglandin-1 is your most powerful anti-inflammatory. It is the most powerful. Uh, it's your bronchial vasodilator. Pay attention, people, with asthma. It is your most powerful uh, vasodilator. Get rid of your cold hands, cold feet, cold nose. It is. It initiates the T lymphocytes, which is your T suppressor cells, to stop your immune system from attacking you, your own body. So this is the first one made. The misconstrued uh, points were that it would automatically go through this pathway and produce arachidonic acid. And that has absolutely been clinically proven wrong and was actually published that omega-6 fats are not inflammatory. That was out of Harvard a couple years back. So it's important to understand that if you produce this prostaglandin 1, that is like opening the carburetor in a car. You are not going to get combustion. The highway will not be open without producing prostaglandin 1. And then there is an amount of made of prostacyclin, which comes from the arachidonic acid, and that is your natural blood thinner. And, of course, with respect to cancer, having thin blood is absolutely paramount because cancer basically metastasizes only from clotting. Yeah, you were saying that cancer spreads from the clotting of blood, so these lipids play a huge role in, in reducing Absol that. Right? Absolutely, and I, and I want people to understand, is this a magic pill? No, it's not a magic pill. Is this the engine that drives it? Yes, but there's a lot of components to this engine. And you need the cofactors to get to this prostaglandin one. And the major identified ones so far, and I think naturopaths and people out there, if you read a lot of health journals and things, you'll see just how these things pop up. But the cofactors, biggies, are zinc, magnesium, B3, B6, B12, selenium, iron vitamin D, so, and calcium. So, you know, you need all, as they say in poker, you need all 52 cards in the deck to mm -hmm. play the game. So the engine is these fats, no question about it. They're critical for the integrity and flexibility, pliability of the membrane to allow what should go into the cell and what should come out. But you don't make these eicosanoids that appear and disappear with every breath up hundreds and thousands of them a second. Mm -hmm. You don't make these unless you have those other pieces of the puzzle. It's like uh, we're, we're trying to open the toll booth to the highway. Yes. But once you're on the highway, there's all these other factors you have to take uh, into your body or, or uh, you know, in your nutrition in, your, in order for this to, to be functioning correctly and properly. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and a good example of that is, you know, I'm dealing with people all the time, but let's say anorexia and bulimia, right? A lot of these people are, they need these fatty acids desperately. Their cell membranes are breaking down and so forth. But you won't see much happen to them just giving them fatty acids. But boy, you watch them turn it around in 90 days when you give them zinc really? with the fatty acids. So science is getting to a point where we're identifying 
that specific nutrients that work with these things. Magnesium is another one because a lot of people in Canada are on prescription drugs. They rob the body dramatically of magnesium. Well, magnesium is critical for every enzyme function, and we're talking the Delta-6, Delta-5 enzyme. So we see a lot of people, you know, that have uh, uh, problems with uh, restless legs or they have problems with muscle aches and cramps. Uh, They have heart arrhythmia, heart palpitations, and you think it's just the magnesium that's going to correct this. It's not. It's this whole process of good fats and magnesium. So the key part tells us that you better eat fresh food or you're going to be in trouble. And you better make sure you get your minerals because they're disappearing from our food supply. Mm -hmm. That's the lesson here. Right. So, so you are, all these diseases we've just been talking about, cancer, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, would you say they're all like, linked strongly to the EFAs then? Like, yes. Uh, but, a guy named Linus Pauling did a study him. about 30, 40 years ago with another guy, my mentor, David Horbin. And they basically, if you take uh, studies uh, and correlate them, you'll see how... Uh, you know, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, they all track with the consumption of uh, amounts of sugar, amounts of trans fats and adulterated vegetable oils. What's interesting is we, you don't have to be a brilliant genius or scientist or statistician to realize that in third world countries where people are just trying to grow enough food or have enough to go to the market to feed their six kids, they don't have all this cancer. They don't have all this heart disease. They don't have all this diabetes. They don't have a problem breastfeeding. They don't have a problem getting pregnant. So, you, you know, there's too many. So this is your third world country. So me, maybe we just should sit back and take a look. What's the difference between them and us? We have all these wonderful grocery stores with God knows what's in all those packages anymore. Mm-hmm. So true. <laughs> so so you've talked to me before about uh, uh dietary manipulation of eicosanoids right yes. so um so utilizing efas uh so what what kind of cancers have first of all i need i guess for you to explain what this manipulation of the eicosanoids is and then could you share with us how that's uh helped people that of that you've been helping with with their cancers okay uh- Dietary manipulation of eicosanoids really just says, you know, if we change our diet, we change the quality of the fats, we change the ratio of the fats, we use derivatives that are past the enzymes that are being affected by the disease process that we've identified, then we can load up the cell membranes so that the response becomes uh, uh, relative to uh, the body healing itself. There was a wonderful paper written on this by the lady who blew the whistle in 1979 on the dangers of trans fats. And, of course, she was the chief scientist for years, world-renowned Dr. Mary Enig. And she was the chief scientist for decades for uh, an organization called the Weston Price Foundation. And uh, she wrote a wonderful paper, I think it was 2004, that people, if they really want to see the complexity of this to a degree was called tripping lightly down the prostaglandin pathway. (laughs) And what it really shows us is that this is a complex feedback and loop system that is so complex that 
tries to bring us back into balance no matter what we do. It is amazing when you think of what people put them through and they're still walking around. And she paid great homage in that to my mentor, David Horobin, is the leading, leading edge biochemical researcher and neuro, uh, neurological uh, physiologist relative to unraveling some of this. And you have to remember that it's the drug companies or pharmaceutical companies that are working on all these pathways. The different approach is this. Drug companies work to get a patent, so it's blocked the symptom without worrying about how it feeds the cause with 43 side effects. <laughs> Whereas this methodology is work like the drugs to a small degree, but stimulate the other side of the coin so the body helps itself get it back in balance. It's sort of like a uh, teeter-totter. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to get it so that the weight on both sides of the coin is correct so the body gives the proper and the immune system the proper response. When you're helping these people that come to you for help, you, I imagine that the diet is a big component, is it, of what, yes. what you yeah. help them with? Some like the, diets and supplements, yeah, obviously. Yeah, so, right? well, but not a lot of supplements. I mean, basically, it's uh, absorption of minerals is a key, uh, flavonoids to thin the blood, and the balance of your omega-6 with emphasis on omega-6 and minor emphasis on omega-3. The... The understanding comes from too long, 30 years of asking the same questions that are affecting this pathway. And, of course, no one talks about it, but evolution is very important. So what's your grandfather, the fats that they ate? So your ethnic background is critical. The background as far as diseases that are in the uh, family, whether it's alcoholism or bipolar schizophrenia or... uh, uh, diabetes, these things all impact this pathway tremendously because they move forward in each generation. And uh, obviously lifestyle and what drugs and medications they're currently on or have been on. And of course, we can't forget just how important, you know, stress is. That's the other one that impacts the enzymes, just like the persistent viral infections. So trying to identify major stressors that they've been through in their life is a huge trigger for cancer and a number of diseases through this pathway. So it's throwing it all together and drawing on that conversation thousands of times. And unfortunately, we don't have measuring sticks. So that's why I'm one of the few people in North America that is helping a lot of these people is because of my experience. Uh, it really is, has be, at this stage, is more of an art mm-hmm. than a science because... <laughs> We don't have measuring sticks at the cellular level. No. Can I just introduce a thought here that I'm just having, and that's that um, I read a book called The Individualized Diet that was written by two doctors from uh, from the Research Institute in Israel, and I have talked about it before. But if we can a- agree that... that uh, that sugar is is something that we need. Sugar and carbohydrates need to be um, monitored and controlled very well if you're trying to starve, should we say, cancer. Um, one of the things I found interesting about their research is is that that they their conclusion is is there isn't the perfect diet for a human being. There's only the perfect diet for you, and there's so many factors made up in you that that yeah. it's impossible to know. 
Absolutely. Uh, what what you what's going to be optimized? But they they did a lot of research. They they studied the microbiome. They have this wonderful catalog now of the microbiome of. I think tens of thousands of people now. And then also just how your body assimilates different things. It's like, you know, rice may increase my glucose reaction uh, in me, but not in someone else. Having a beer, which is made out of wheat, uh, you know, or grains may make, make my blood sugar go up through the roof and not someone else's. And there's just no way, no matter what food we're talking about, there's just no way of knowing. So I actually just picked up a, a glucometer that I'm going to wear on my arm, like with the ones that are constantly recording yes. your glucose. And over a period of, I, I've been trying to get this put together for a while now, but finally I've got it. But my plan is to, and what they recommend you do, is to wear this glucometer on your arm for several weeks and you can actually see within a short time of eating foods how your blood sugar reacts. And over time, you can determine which foods you react to and which you don't. And so if you can, the, the goal being to try and, instead of having these big rises and fall in glucose levels, is to try and create a more level uh, glucose level assimilation in your body. So, so that must be a helpful thing for people to do that are with cancer, right? Because if if they're if they're eating rice, for example, thinking that that's something that they that's a, sort of a neutral, because most people with diabetes are told to eat rice, right? The 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 the, the wife of the one of the doctors that wrote this book turned his wife, who's a dietitian for diabetes patients upside down because she'd been recommending this certain palette of foods that are safe for diabetics, not realizing that it only would work for some people and not others. So do you think that that, that going through that process of, of analyzing what foods cause you to react and don't react glucose-wise might be helpful for people with cancer? Well, I think it would be very helpful, but I think if we back up and try and make it simpler with people to start with, number one, get off processed food. Mm -hmm. That is the biggest message you have to start with. And I have attended some of these diabetic sessions and everything else, and it's more about getting your OHIP card number to, so you can bill somebody called the government than it is about having any rational conversation by dietitians or whatever that run these things. It's, it's, it's really heartbreaking to see to see that with the diabetic community getting so big that all they do is talk about what pill or how much insulin or whatever. And, of course, you know, there's another factor on uh, cancer with respect to this Delta-6, Delta-5. What happens is, okay, the too much sugar and the insulin response, what it does is it monopolizes the Delta-5 enzyme, but it also shuts down the Delta-6. So, in effect... If you have a lot of sugar or an insulin response going on, then what happens is you're closing the carburetor. Mm, okay. Think of it as you're with the insulin or with the diabetes, you're treating the symptom and feeding the cause. Well, here's what people need to know. If you're moving in that direction, you've just increased your risk of cancer by three or 400% mm. as well as heart disease because they all track. So we have a tsunami coming because of the numbers with diabetes. And yes. they're not being told about the risk of other diseases as consequence. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is get off the processed food, period. I, I say this when I speak to doctors, a lot of people, because even the doctors don't understand these words. But it's really simple. Don't eat anything that doesn't go bad in four days on your counter. Right. 
That's number one. Secondly, to answer your question, though, directly, it's really, really important that people understand that they look at their ancestry and what foods and fats especially they evolved with. The best example probably in North America is our Native American people and Eskimos. They have to go back and eat the seal. They have to go back and eat the whale blubber. Coca-Cola and Lay's potato chips just don't cut it. <laughs> They're falling apart as a, as a people. Look at the diabetes rates. Look at the cancer rates. It's through the roof. They're, it's, it's criminal. So it's important you look at what your ancestors ate. And if there's a really good example, it's this. How long do you think, Lynn, a panda bear would last without being fed bamboo? Not it's dead not. in about two months. Yeah. So who are we to think we've only been around in the last hundred years of we had planes and trains and uh, automobiles, as they say. Would you get on a plane and move to Thailand tomorrow and decide that all you want to eat is insects mm-hmm. and not expect it to have an impact on your, you know, biofilm, on your, your whole metabolism? Well, of course, mm-hmm. because like you've just pointed out, We're all different. And to show you how different we are, even with fatty acids, this is really interesting. But the essential fats that we must get in our diet are linoleic acid, and we want it in the cis form from nature as opposed to it being altered in processed food, and alpha-linolenic, the omega-3 parent essential oils, but they're known as essential. They're, those are the two essential fats. Now, is, is are, those, yeah, <laughs> are those essential fats the same for all mammals? No. They're not? They're not. <laughs> cats, cats, right from the lions and tigers down to the domestic cats, cannot make arachidonic acid from linoleic acid, like we can. What does that mean? That means they have to get arachidonic acid as an essential fat in their diet. Mm -hmm. Well, think of cats. Now, where do you think the largest supply of arachidonic acid is? In the animals that they consume. In the organ meat? They're called birds. Oh, birds, of course. Have you ever heard of a cat going after a bird. Yes, I have. (laughs) Yes. Maybe we could save a few million birds a day if it was legislated that we put arachidonic acid in the food supply for all the domestic cats. Mm -hmm. So that is just an example that basically the enzymes and what we've eaten in the past, that we're not all the same. You can't say that mammals all have even the same essential fats. You can't say, because we know from the Eskimos, from eating seal and everything, they have very weak delta-6 enzymes. So when they move over and eat white man's food, so to speak, I don't know if that's correct, politically white man you know what i'm talking about (laughs) anyways let's not worry about that yes anyways they have a huge problem because their enzymes are weak and lazy because they've been getting these fats from eating seal meat for thousands of years Mm -hmm. 
So what happens to them? The children are born with brains that are deformed and deficient in DHA because the mother's not eating seal meat. Mm, okay. So this all ties in with what you're saying, Lynn, mm-hmm. that, and the lesson is really this, you have to be very careful. I have a lot of vegetarians who come to me. The first thing I ask is, was your parents and grandparents vegetarian? You know, from India or wherever. And uh, that's okay then, but be careful because, you know, you don't want to be B12 short and you don't want to be iron short and certain things you usually get from, uh, from uh, animal. Mm-hmm. But, boy, the ones that come that their parents were carnivores and they've decided to become vegetarians, you would not believe how many of them are in trouble in six, six to nine months. They feel great for two months. That's because they stopped getting all the crap in. The yeah, they change their diet supply, to healthier food. But yeah. then they start to become deficient because of their metabolism and history. And the, one of the biggies that suffers is their brain because mm-hmm. the brain is over 60% fat. It's your fattest tissue. So if you're going to not be making the fats that your body needs, it's going to show up in your brain real fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then again, we don't have any people with anxiety, panic attacks, or mental disorders today. So that couldn't Wait have anything to do minute. with it. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just so many things happening now, and, and it's escalating with, with brain function that we see yes. in society, right? Yes. Like, it's really alarming and quite frightening. Well, and mo- just about all of this, because I, I, I just recently helped turn around, uh, in the midst of turning someone around with uh, Parkinson's that basically was brought on by being put for 10 years on three statin drugs, cholesterol-lowering mm-hmm. drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and what really is happening here is, and especially with new diagnosis like what they call uh, FTD, frontal temporal dementia, it's all about getting blood flow and oxygen to the brain. We're back to that, hey, that brain cell don't work too good if it don't get oxygen for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So... We, we, we have to be very careful, and technologically, we are changing things so rapidly. We're not having time to adapt to anything, whether it's the food supply, the technology, our lifestyles. I mean, we're driving ourselves into the ground. Mm-hmm. It seems that way. And, you know, this message is out there. I mean, we know it's out there. You and I are putting it out there. But when I go to this, the grocery store and I look at all the people what's in their carts they're not living the message they may have heard the message but they're not living it it's just shocking to me still how much processed food people buy every week well and it's it's a herd mentality because they're being bombarded you know with uh, uh you know you're not a good person if you don't eat this chocolate bar today or whatever it be or you know if you don't take your kid to mcdonald's you're a, a meanie uh so they're being bombarded all the time what people need to start to realize, and, you know, I'm an old guy. I'm in my 70s, so I look around and I go, when I grew up and went to grocery stores, I don't remember that there was, you know, all these parking spaces for disabled people. I don't remember scooters running around to the point if you're at Walmart, you better watch you don't get run over in the aisles. <laughs> I, You know, all these people in their 30s and 40s with canes and, and uh, walkers, Maybe we need to realize something, that what we're doing ain't working. Mm-hmm. And we better stop listening to these messages from corporations that are telling us the so-called right way. Because if you look at the reality of life, we've never had people so sick in all your life. Mm-hmm. And 
the hospitals and God help all the caregivers. They're just overrun. And it's it's going to get nothing but worse. Mm-hmm. And it all goes back to the food supply. Yep. Yeah. I, I know we've talked about this in another podcast, but it needs to be reiterated again. And like we all hear about EFAs, in particular the omega-3s, and how important they are and that, that they're good, but the omega-6s are bad because they're inflammatory. And I know that's wrong. That's not the correct information that's, that's out there. Can you explain how much more important the omega-6 is than the omega-3 for when, as, it, as, it comes, as it pertains to reversing cancer? Like we talked about in general before, but could you reiterate that and then maybe uh, you know, uh, explain how that affects the role of cancer? Basically, it's gazillion times more important because the first eicosanoid, prostaglandin 1, is the key. Back to the car, it's opening up the carburetor. So it's the omega-6 side that is just absolutely so much more important. And my mentor, David Horobin, he wrote a book called The Omega-6 Pathophysiology and so forth back in 1990 to try and put into balance um, because all of a sudden, you know, everybody was jumping on the omega-3 bandwagon. And the omega-3 bandwagon was jumped on for basically commercial reasons. Um, this was a product that was being, had to be paid to take to the dump. So it was a very readily sourced uh, product that could be put in a capsule with a high margin, profit margin, and sent out to people. And we need very, very little. It's unbelievably how small amount. Otherwise, how have people lived on the land where there was no no streams with fish or anything? How did they ever survive all those years living in the Andes Mountains? I mean, there's not exactly a lot of fish up there. <laughs> so people need to realize that if you grew up on fish and you're on the coast somewhere, then fish is a big important part because you probably adapted over time, again, back to what we were just Your saying. Yeah. But the vast majority of people, you need a little bit. The most medical conditions that can be identified relative to fatty acids, and of course it usually starts with skin disorders and then it's, it's uh, bone disorders like osteopenia, osteoporosis, and so forth, and goes on from there into autoimmune diseases, they can readily be reversed with omega-6 you cannot see reversal in them with omega-3. Mm-hmm. Omega-3s are basically need for some of the brain and, uh, you know, the uh, rod cells behind the eyes for the retina and so forth, uh, you know, and things like dyslexia and so forth. But basically the omega-6s are, oh, call it two, four, six, ten times, it depends on the individual, more important than the omega-3s. I really wanted to drive that home because yes. the people are still like well, sure. still hanging their hat on the omega threes and the fish oils, right? Yeah. Well, in most of those studies, just for your information, Lynn, most of those uh, studies that are coming out, all they've ever been able to get approved from the FDA is that it lowers your triglycerides. Mm-hmm. All of these statements about the heart and the brain and this and that and whatever, there's conflicting studies all over. Uh, sure, there's a lot more studies saying that it does all these wonderful things, the omega-3s, and they are important. I'm not downplaying that, especially for the brain. But but in, in, in acknowledging that there's a lot more studies that saying that it's doing good, almost all those studies say we need to do more research 
and just about all those studies are funded by fish oil companies. Mm, of course. So you need, <laughs> people need to start to realize that if you do 25 tests and four of them show that it doesn't do anything, but the other 21 do, you should put up your hand and go, if this really worked, wouldn't all 25 show something good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you think. <laughs> you think, yes. The protocols, like, did you want, do you want to elaborate a little bit on, like when you're helping someone with cancer, let's say, yep. for example, then, then, uh, like I was saying about how diets are individualized, your approach to trying to help those people is also individualized because it depends on the cancer, how far advanced it is, what treatments they've taken and so on. So what you've been doing to help people is to try and come up with a series of protocols or a series of, of whether it's it's eating and and reducing stress and all these things, like you come up with a uh, a playlist, shall we say, yes. <laughs> of things that they need to incorporate yes. in their lives to help yes. them help them get better. So so um, just sticking with these EFA supplements like the omega three and omega six again. Someone has cancer and they're going through standard treatments like chemo, radiation, surgery, all that sort of thing. Um, it's not uncommon I've found from talking to people that their physicians are telling them not to take things like um, evening primrose oil, which is uh, the FML brand, which you recommend is a good one for the uh, essential fatty acids, omega-6. Um, so, so should people be taking supplements like EFAs and antioxidants when they're going through these standard treatments? And, and what, what, what can we say to them if they like people are going to be really worried because their doctors don't know or understand these essential fatty acids and they're saying don't do it. Like I know several people who've had their doctors saying, you know, don't do it. Yes, and people need to understand. I mean, I've been dealing with this question for almost 20 years and they have to understand that what the doctor is saying to them when you say can i take this or can i take vitamin c or can i take this or vitamin e or can i do this whatever supplement then that doctor has to follow a protocol from a legality standpoint and he will not agree more and more doctors are because they don't know more and more doctors i'm hearing are saying well i i think it's okay or whatever but the doctors who are protecting their paycheck and liability of the hospital and so forth will basically tell you, no, you can't take any of those supplements. Now, let's stop for a minute here. What does that mean? Vitamin C, vitamin D, this. don't go out in the sun, don't breathe air, don't eat any food, take this chemotherapy for the next 30 days. It's ridiculous, Lynn. It is ridiculous. They're not trained in any of that. You are wasting your time and putting yourself as a patient in a confrontation with your doctor. What you need to understand is, is there a danger in taking any of this stuff? The only danger is that if you're on uh, a uh, flavonoid product, and you know I recommend one from the guy who invented aspirin a day, Dr. Foltz. I don't want to put brand names out, but... Always put people on a flavonoid product, uh, uh, you know, with cancer. And, of course, the fatty acids themselves, omega-6 and 3, when they're in the biologically active form, they thin your blood. Mm-hmm. You know, you've probably heard if you take fish oil or cod liver oil, you're thinning your blood. So if you're going to have surgery, yes, 24 hours beforehand, 
you should stop taking those things because you don't want to bleed too much, right? No different than they'll stop you if you're on Coumadin or Warfarin or Aspirin a day, God help you, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to understand what these supplements do. All this is telling us is, oh, by the way, if you eat fresh food, your blood's thinner than the guy who eats processed food, so your risk of cancer goes down. Maybe it would be a good lesson to tell people this. <laughs> so, you know. Don't... So, so the point is, is that, you know, your doctor is protecting himself. Uh, obviously, they're not the experts in these things. They know so nothing. They don't know anything. They don't so know they what EFA say, stands for. You know, they aren't going to put their, their, their license on the line by, uh, by agreeing or telling you that you should or shouldn't take anything because they don't know. No. So, but that doesn't mean that you don't take it. Absolutely. It means that you go away and you have to advocate for yourself. You have to do you your own research. You have to take charge you, of your you, own health. Either you do all your own research and make a determination what things you could supplement with that might help you or you go to an expert like you and ask for advice but the point is is that you don't just walk away and accept that as the answer you need to still look into it and come to a conclusion based on research for your own health and that doctor i mean basically he has approval that he can put ten thousand drugs in your body Mm -hmm. and not be liable well, how many drugs come and go and are taken off the market and all of a sudden come out with black box warnings, you know, may cause you to commit suicide? Well, that's really good. I need that antidepressant. <laughs> um, so, you know, people need to really start to uh, take charge. The first step is take charge of your own health, find some answers. And, uh, you know, myself uh, with uh, a wonderful ghostwriter who's written some uh, wonderful stuff who I've been helping with uh, myeloma, uh, seven years out, um, we will have a website up in about a month or so <gasps> really? awesome. to basically provide the real truth and information and dozens and dozens of unbelievable miracles um, well, I know to who help you're talking people. About, and that is such an amazing story of what uh, what he went through. So that's fabulous that you're going to have this website up to help provide information to people. Yes, and, and, and the website will be there so that people can contact people who've gone through it because one of the my real pet peeves of the whole medical profession is to protect incomes and hospitals and we're going to live in an age where everybody sues everybody whether you trip over a empty coffee cup or whatever it's very important that people realize that they are always being told the worst of the worst scenario their hope is being robbed and it really bothers me as a taxpayer that medical professionals are paid so much money to take people's hope away and then I'm then I have to go to a church and try and buy it back from another corrupt side uh people really have to start to realize that you know the they can fight back mm-hmm. don't walk out from that five-minute meeting that says, get your affairs in order. I've, I've had them at my front door and on the phone from all over Europe and wherever. These are people who were told to go home and die 15, 17 years. You've talked to some of them. I have. And, you know, they're still living for their grandchildren, for their whatever. And these people, we're talking people that if you saw pictures of them, when they came to me and in wheelchairs and 85 pounds and cancer in five organs, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, these were given up on the medical profession. I like it when the medical profession gives up on these people because now <laughs> yeah, I don't now I don't have any roadblocks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it 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 is so true. I mean, having watched my brother go through lung cancer and and that the whole the whole machine that is the cancer uh, you know, system is just like just incredibly yeah. terrifying. And and it's so hard because like, you know, I, I was trying to help him with some other options and so on, but he was completely brainwashed into believing that, that, uh, he just had to follow the doctor's orders like it. And there's a lot of people like that, right? Like he, you know, if, if it were me, I'd be trying everything under the sun to regain my health in a natural way and look for ways of trying to get my body to reverse the cancer. But there's so many people that have total faith in the, in the, in the well, medical system and, 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 and that's their choice. I mean, they, they can't. And it, the other thing that sometimes amazes me is how they might be given some solutions that have worked for many, many people. But they, you know, for example, if you were to, if someone was in stage four cancer and you say, well, maybe you have to cut back on the cake and ice cream and all the sugar that you're consuming, it, it, it amazes me that they will cling to that. Like it's, it's like the cancers in their brain saying, no, 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 we need the cake and ice cream. You're and, absolutely and, correct. It and, becomes uh, addictive. The yeah. worse the cancer, the more your body will crave. Yeah. But they, they, they can't not have it or, yeah. or, or they develop the mentality as well. I'm dying anyway. I may as well enjoy the, the last few oh. weeks and eat my cake. And, and, I, and I've had this with people who are heavy drinkers. Like you tell them all this, you show them what's happening to the liver, you show them this and that. And, and the rationale is, I'm not going to drink 12 beers a day anymore, just two. <laughs> it's like saying, you know, I know the arsenic's poisoning me, so I'm going to cut back on it and still have a little every day. So it just kills me slower. It kills me slower. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's so important that people, and this is why our website, I think, will be a big hit with the, the general public. We will go into have a spend expensive time and Bill has spent time too tearing apart people's belief system, showing them overzealous marketing, show them that how it's profit driven, show them the fraudulent research going back 60, 70 years that's behind it all. And once they can see all this, don't blame the doctors. Blame the educational institution, which is in the back pocket of Big Pharma. Mm -hmm. Blame the government. With three hundred million was spent last year in lobbying by the pharmaceutical industry in Washington. Well, what about Canada? Well, we just rubber stamp whatever the FDA and Centers of Disease Control say. So we're all affected by these huge amounts of money mm -hmm. from big pharma, right through our educational, our training, our institutes, and the doctors. A lot of them, good intentions, they want to help people. They haven't been given the tools. Mm -hmm. If they were given tools to help a cancer patient, do you really think that they want to feed them green jello, fake mashed potatoes, base cell margarine, and a piece of microwave meat? 
And when they get and really... then use ammonia and bleach to clean the room every night. Yeah. Hello. And then and when they're really sick and they can't eat real eat that's not even real food, but they can't eat solid food anymore. And then they're giving them these 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 meal supplement things that have got thirty one grams of sugar in yeah. them. Like Corn crazy. syrup, canola oil, and water. Yeah, yeah. Hi, we yeah. got to get this bed empty in a hurry. Oh gosh, yeah. It's it's you know. And it's hard because we grew up with this belief system. But the doctor that your parents or the doctor you grew up with in the 50s or the 60s or whatever, his toolkit had six drugs. He spent 15 minutes or half an hour with you. He was at the same church as you. There was a sense of community. He stopped in on the way home to see your mother when she was pregnant. Today, He's got a prescription written out before he even puts his head up off the desk and you're out the door in three minutes and don't ask more than one question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you expect going to that situation? Mm -hmm. And who can afford naturopaths? They want you to take 46 bottles. (laughs) Get in touch with me. I'll tell you to take three things and just get off the processed food. Meditate. Rest. There's the other part. You have to reduce your stress. My God. God, every time you go to the hospital, it's like they're feeding you cancer. Why? Well, you sit there for an hour and a half and watch everybody dying around you. That ain't stressful. Yeah. yeah. Then you go to check out and you go, oh, I parked for two hours. That'll be $80. What? That's not stressful. (laughs) So true. So you go down to the cafeteria to try to get something to eat and you find Tim Horton's food is just really appetizing for the healthy body. Yeah. And the list goes on and on. Mm Mm-hmm. So you, you, what you really have to do is take charge Definitely. and do what, I mean, I often tell people, anybody can do what I say. The ones who are successful, it's because of their discipline yep. and putting into action. Yep. We are creatures of habit. So people find it very, very difficult to change anything. Mm-hmm. Most people, you know, that have searched out any kind of alternative health care, you know, this is just the reaction of the body um, trying to get rid of toxins and chemicals. So, you know, you can be mild flu-like feelings. It can be a lot of defecation or gases coming out of you. It, it's basically uh, your system trying to get rid of garbage. And, of course, when we take the fatty acids and open up the highway, mm-hmm. it's a two-lane highway and that highway out is the lymphatic system and people who've been through all kinds of chemo stem cell i mean i deal with ones that have been put in comas they've had stem cell uh, transplants they've had organ transplants they've had chemo five times they've had radiation 10 times they've had 12 ct scans i mean you know they walk in your they walk in the house and the light bulbs all go off you know (laughs) and these poor people the Mm -hmm. hell they've been through some of them for five six seven years well, boy, when you open the highway, you cannot imagine the Herxheimer effect that some of these people go through. So just to so be clear, so it's the garbage coming out, right? So, so if, if for example, you're you're uh, you know dosing your your the people that you're trying to help, you might be suggesting a dose of essential fatty acids, omega three, omega six, yeah. some other supplements, and so on. What we're trying to say is is that this effect may occur. As they're clearing out. In fact, it may even be the same. You know, they, 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 there's suggestions that a ketogenic diet or burning fat instead of sugar in your diet same may cause happens. the keto flu. That will so cause it, the keto flu if of, you don't transition slowly. slowly. Yes, exactly. So the same applies with these 
these supplements and uh, these oils that you're recommending that people take yes. is that you, if you if you do too much too soon, you may end up with similar effects like you know the 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 headaches, the fever, the chills, the hyperventilation, all that stuff may occur because you've transitioned too quickly. Yes, and yes. swollen lymph nodes will be there and so forth. But what people need to understand is that the longer you have gone through some of these invasive treatments yes. that have a real toxic side effect, whether it's chemo or radiation or even surgery, um, that you have to be very careful once you start to get oxygen and your head clears a bit that you don't go out and create a whole bunch of more toxic load by thinking, oh, God, I'm going to start running five miles a day again. Yes. You have to be, you have to pace yourself. You have to go very slow. And the longer you've gone through that toxic journey trying to get well, then the longer it's going to take to clear the system. It's no different than, you know, I often refer to it like you want to build this beautiful little cabin up in the Muskoka at the end of a peninsula. Well, first of all, you have to have a roadway in. Mm -hmm. Now you got to tear down all the old little cottages that were there. Yes. Well, it takes time. Yes. You yes. can't just go in and tear it all down and one truck goes in and clears out all the debris from six little cottages or whatever. It's right. it's a slow pace. Otherwise you jam up the high jam up the roadway. Yeah. So, so it's so if, everyone if at their own pace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so you know, you're not going you know, you took years of of uh, of exposure to whether it's your food, your environment, whatever, to create the cancer or the cancer to to evolve, to evolve yeah. in your body, like you can't expect to 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 make these changes in your life and have instant results. Like it could take, depending on again the the, the stage of cancer or the illness you have, the the severity, the other treatments you've taken, it could take it could take as little as maybe three or four months, but it could take nine months or more before you slowly start to back out of where you are, right? Like oh, it, and, 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 and you don't want that anxiety of starting this protocol and thinking in two weeks, oh, it's not working, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it, you, and, you, and even people who don't have serious, serious diseases, the average person, it's going to take, you know, you know, let's say we do 3,000 milligrams of evening primrose or, or, you know, one of Brian Peskin's formulas, um, uh, you know, with yes supplements. Um, let's say you do 3,000 milligrams omega-6 and 500 or 1,000 milligrams of omega-3. A person who's fairly healthy, it usually will take them at least three months to get levels back to normal. Let me give you another example. A woman who has a baby today, it takes her, especially if it's a boy, but it will take her up to two years to get her fatty acid levels back to normal. Wow, I did not know that. You have to be patient. The longer you've been sick, the more damage has been done. The more treatment you have, the more damage has been done. And so there's a lot more. And, of course, the older you are, the slower your metabolism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, when I grew up, cancer was a disease of old age. It no longer is. Nope. And that's very sad. Yeah. But uh, people have to realize that and I think this is where this website will come in so useful. People have resources and other people have been through this. People will have some of the knowledge and the information in one concise place. And people won't have to sit there and buy stuff off a website or whatever or be... 
you know. What's the things? There's so many, you know, people, oh. you know, they tell you they've written a book and they've got all the answers you yeah. need to reverse cancer, but then you have to buy the book. <laughs> and then, yeah. or they've got supplements or yeah. meal plans. And, we're, and, we, and, and, and we have so, contacted, and we have contacted some, you know, some people with some good work on this. And there will be information on there that will, you know, on this website that will be free. Mm-hmm. There will be some Kindle things um, so that it's the, the least expensive. Because, you know, the people I've dealt with over the years, not to mention myself, I mean, I understand that, you know, right behind the loss of your health is the loss of your finances mm-hmm. and then the loss of your family. Mm-hmm. And it's tragic that there isn't things in place to basically help people but we basically are working on this is going to cost you less than five dollars a day and you can buy it wherever you want right yeah yeah so if you can afford a starbucks coffee i guess it's with tax too but you can afford to do this from a purchase standpoint the biggest expense will be um eating fresh clean food Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's what we should all be doing anyways yeah I don't care if you grow it in your backyard, in your basement, or wherever. Mm-hmm. But we've got to get back to fresh food. Lynn. Well, thank you very much, Paul. It was enlightening as always, and I'm sure there's lots of new information here that people will be very interested in. And I'm so excited to hear that you and Bill are putting together this website. Um, it, it will be available for us to... Like, Is the website... Uh, available that you can share with us now or do we have to come back no, another it's, time? No, it's probably going to be about another three weeks. We're going through some legal stuff to okay. make sure. Like you really have to watch nowadays what you're putting out there. Yeah. Every word, every little comma, cross the T's because, you know, it is it. the internet is wonderful for information, but it has also become a huge minefield. Yeah. Oh, I understand totally. So well, we hey. want to be honest and as truthful with people um, because there's just far too many things, people selling everything under the sun. Yeah. You know, doctors put their names on stuff and the doctors don't even know what it is. Right. Well, I have talked to Bill, and he's a wonderful man, and his story is amazing, like just really, really inspiring to hear what he's gone through with your help. And he certainly, uh, you know, completely places has placed his life in your hands and, and has survived, you know, some terrible situations health-wise that he's he's come through successfully, and that's why he's part of the reason he and you are, are working together on this website. But well, in order to part be able- of the reason too is because I don't have any money or the expertise in the technology. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's your IT guru. <laughs> he's my IT guru. Yes. yes. Um, so, so what we can do for the listeners is is that uh, once it is up and running, uh, I think if I recall, Bill said he would be happy to come and speak with us here yes. and and do a podcast together. So I think that'd be really cool to have Bill come and we'll, we'll talk. You can be here as well because you'll be able to sort of fill in some of the uh, things that you did to help achieve the, the outcome that he's he's in, in now enjoying um so that would be great so when when we, in the future near future we'll come back with bill and you and then you can share what's the, the website's about and where it is and we'll 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 share it with our listeners then thank you so much for your uh, time today, thank Lynn. you so much paul always a pleasure If you want more information on what was talked about on today's show, you can head over to the show page at deadsetonliving.com. 
Be sure to subscribe to the Dead Set on Living podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. That way you'll always be up to date whenever a new episode is released. As a listener, you are vital to the success of our show. By leaving a rating and review, you'll help us reach more people and continue to put out kick-ass content. Also, every time you leave a rating or review, a fairy in the forest will get its wings. But seriously, what you think is important to us and to the growth of our show. Until next time, live life and be well.